Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Just in case we forgot to mention, happy Mother's Day. And you know, as we think about our moms, you cannot mention the word mom without the word love. You can't really even fathom the two being separated. One definition of love that we're gonna be sharing about today is is this, is is love requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice while expecting nothing in return. And so there's a lot of moms here. There's a lot of moms who are not here that when we think about this definition of the love that a mother has, that resonates with our hearts is because we've seen it exemplified that a mom loves without expecting anything in return. So Mother's Day is a day that we, in our culture, set aside so that we can give the moms something in return. We can say thank you, we can say we love you, we, we, ha- we shower you with gifts, we, every restaurant in Gainesville will be packed in about an hour and a half because of a day that we set aside just to give a little bit back to our moms. And so it's no accident that as we were getting ready to prepare for today that the main idea that we're gonna be looking at in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, you guessed it, is love. And I would love to say, love to say, that I planned it that way, but as I've told you so many times, I'm not that smart, and I was blown away as I began to study for this week and saw exactly what this week aligned with. Because if you've not been here, all we're doing is walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. I don't know how long we've been here now. We've been here for a while. But it just so happened that it perfectly aligned with where we're going today. So it's no accident. Now, as we celebrate Mother's Day, I want you to also think about, I don't want you to think in my mind, well, I'm not a, I'm not a, a mother by blood. Every female in this room has been given the gift to love like a mom. And so maybe you're not able to have children. Maybe that's just not been in God's plan for you. But I want you to understand that you too are being celebrated because the reality is, is you're all loving somebody like a mother loves. And so we love you and we wanna say thank you for your commitment for that. Um, You know, as we look back over the last week or so, or two weeks, I guess, You know, we've been talking about this topic in chapter four of what it looks like to be a sanctified Christian, to be set apart. And we talked about that last week, that that when you were saved by grace through faith, you were sanctified, meaning you were set apart for salvation, but you were also set apart to be used for the kingdom of God. And last week, we, we had some very hard conversation because the two ways that Paul was telling the church at Thessalonica to be sanctified was to abstain from sexual immorality and to also learn how to control your body. And those are are the two things that we talked about. 
But now what we're going to look at today is, is Paul goes in a total different direction. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're just going to be in four verses. We're just going to be in four verses this morning. Um, as Paul gets ready to close out chapter, or about midway through chapter 4. But read with me in verses 9 through 12. Paul writes, he says, Now as to, there's that word, love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to, there it is again, love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we have commanded you. Verse 12, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Hey, pray with me right quick. God, we thank you for today. And God, um, God, I'm overwhelmed with a burden as we get ready to dive into this word love today. Because God, maybe there's people in our congregation, maybe there's people here in this audience today that, that don't understand this word. God, it makes no sense to them the, the overwhelming love that you have for them in spite of, of who they are, in spite of who we are. And so God, my prayer has been this morning that you would open someone's eyes to a love that absolutely makes no sense. And God, when you do, God, I pray that someone would respond to your love today and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, the funny thing that I find in this, this part of this letter is Paul addresses the fact that he says, hey, there's no need to write you, but we're reading about it in a letter that he wrote. I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there going, well, why in the world did he, he just said there's no need to write you, but I'm writing you anyway. And so what let, that lets us know is this is very, very, very important. And the reason that he says there's no need to write you is because he said the Holy Spirit has been given to you and the Holy Spirit is the one that is teaching you how to love. The Holy Spirit is doing something supernaturally in you as a child of God. And that's exactly what we talked about last week, how the Holy Spirit empowers us to do things. What we looked at last week was the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome temptation. But now what we're gonna look at this week is how the Holy Spirit empowers us to love. And some of you know that it's gonna take a supernatural act of God for you to love certain people, right? Look, y'all all trying to act super spiritual, Look, there's people that are hard to love. And for some of you, that's you. You don't realize that, right? I'm hard to love. Chelsea, don't say, oh good, she's not even here. Oh, there she is, never mind, she is here. I'm surprised she wasn't shouting amen. But in Romans 5, 5, that's exactly what we read there, that the love of God has been poured out, listen to this, within our hearts through his Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's exactly what we're gonna look at. Because of the Holy Spirit pouring out his love in our hearts, we supernaturally begin to learn how to love. And that's why Paul has said, there's really no need in writing you because the Holy Spirit is already teaching you how to do these things. But as I said in verse nine, we've already seen that word love twice. 
But after further study and after I looked into the, to the original context of the language and what it means, the word love in this passage actually means two different types of love. And if you look at the very first one, it reads the love of the brethren, which it comes from the Greek word, and it's gonna sound very familiar to you in just a moment, but the Greek word would be pronounced Philadelphia. Philadelphia is where? The city of brotherly love. And so we see that that's exactly what this passage is talking about, that, that Paul is saying that as of the Holy Spirit working in you, you will have this brotherly-like love. And what that's talking about is that you would have like a, a love for your family, that this is the love between brother and sister. This is the love between father and son. This is the love between cousin to cousin. This is the love that a mother exemplifies for her child. This is the family type love. Because remember, this letter is to a bunch of new believers. This letter is to a bunch of new Christians. And what Paul is wanting them to understand is he is saying, look, you have now been adopted into a new family. And as a result of being adopted into that new family, you are now called to love one another the same way that a family loves each other. Because the reality is, is when you are born into the family of God, your family just got a whole lot bigger. You've got a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ. You've, I don't know if you've really got cousins and all that kind of stuff, but we're just brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're called by God to love one another the very same way that families love each other. And so the love for the family, listen to this, the love for your family is not based off a condition, but based off a connection. The love for the family is not based off of a condition, but it's based off a connection. And when we hear family, that connection a lot of times is the blood that is flowing through our veins. That is what connects us. That is how we are connected is because we have the same blood flowing through our veins. But what Paul is speaking to here is that the blood that now connects us is the one that was shed on the blood or shed on the cross. That is the blood that connects us now as the family of God. And because we have all now been connected, if you're a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, you have now been connected through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so now your family just got a whole lot bigger. But the challenge is, is Paul is saying now, you're called to love each other no matter what. Now as believers, you are called to love other believers no matter what. Now, as many of you know, I'm a very simple-minded guy. And when I read the text, when I read the Bible, I, I ask a lot of questions because I want it to make sense in this little tiny brain of mine. And so I don't know if you're anything like me, but as we looked at what it meant to be sanctified, we, we noticed that the topic last week seemed to be much tougher than what it is today, than what we're looking at today. Because when you saw last week, he said, hey, the way that you are sanctified, the way that you are set apart is you abstain from sexual immorality. Then he goes on to say that now you also need to learn how to control your own body. But now this week, he takes a really, really sharp turn because in my mind, if we're gonna talking about how we're sanctified, how we should be set apart, it seems like Paul would have just gone on down a whole list of sins. 
And he should, should have said, or could have said, you know, you abstain from sexual immorality. You learn how to control your bodies. You don't murder. You don't steal. You don't do all of these things. And it seemed that that would have stayed consistent with the theme that was started last week. But all of a sudden, he takes a really, really sharp turn and says, abstain from sexual immorality, control your own body, but then love each other like family. And I sat and I go, why? Why did Paul take such a sharp turn in a whole nother direction? And so I began to dig. I began to research, looking into to people who are a whole lot smarter than me. And, and I wish I could have said that I found like this, this bucket of gold and like, here it is. But there wasn't a whole lot that correlated all of this stuff together as to the why Paul took a turn. And so what I began to do is I was like, God, you got to help me here. There's got to be something here. Why the drastic change? Why the drastic switch of direction? And all of a sudden, God began to reveal to me, I wonder, I wonder that the reason that Paul took such a sharp turn, that he's gone from sexual immorality to control your own bodies, to love each other like family, could it be that what Paul is encouraging the family of God to do is to love each other in spite of our sin. To love each other in spite of our sin. Because just as we shared last week, for some reason there's this misconception that once you give your life to Christ, once you place your faith in him, that for some reason we think that the temptation has gone away, that all of a sudden the enemy's no longer gonna come after us, but we all know that that's not the case. And so we all know because we are still fleshly people, we are still trapped in this body of flesh, we realize that there's gonna be moments of weakness that as the enemy tempts us, we are still going to give in to that temptation. That at salvation, temptation doesn't go anywhere. The only difference is, is that salvation, now the Holy Spirit of God lives within us that empowers us to overcome the temptation. But the problem is, is as we shared, we don't always take advantage of the resource that's been given us. And we let our flesh drive us. We let our flesh entertain us. And so could it be that Paul knew that, that even as a bunch of Christians, that there are still going to be followers of Christ who fall, who stumble, who make mistakes, who give into temptation? And so could it be that the reason that Paul has tied that in to, to loving your brother and sister is because that even in spite of, of sexual immorality, even in spite of the challenge of controlling your own body, that there were gonna be moments of weakness where Christians themselves even fall in to the temptation that Paul is telling them to abstain from. He's saying, look, you've gotta love each other anyway. You gotta love each other in spite of your sins. Because here's a news flash. For all us super spiritual people, just because someone struggles with sin doesn't mean they're not saved. Did you hear that? Just because someone struggles with sin does not mean they're not saved. 
If they've placed their faith in the finished work of the cross, they've been saved by grace through faith. However, we still make mistakes. And just because we sin, it doesn't mean we're unsaved. It doesn't mean we fall from grace. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that we need each other to love one another in spite of the sin that we still wrestle with. That we still wrestle with. Because here's another news flash. You do realize when you get to heaven, you're gonna be standing right beside brothers and sisters in Christ who have struggled with pornography, who have struggled with adultery, who have struggled with homosexuality, who have struggled with addiction. You're gonna be standing right beside them and guess what? They're gonna be standing right beside you. You're in the same position they were, but praise be unto God because of the shed blood of the cross, we're not held accountable for those sins that we committed while we were trapped in this fleshly body. And so could it be the reason that Paul is telling us to love is he's saying, look, y'all are all gonna continue to make mistakes. You're all gonna continue to give into temptation. But what I'm encouraging and commanding you to do is to love each other anyway. Because there's nothing more heartbreaking than watching other believers throw each other under the bus as a result of their sin. There's nothing that destroys the testimony of the church when other believers attack one another because of sin. And what is so heartbreaking is, you know, for whatever reason, we do it on social media so that all the lost world can see. And you better believe if they see the brothers and sisters in Christ batting each other, who's drawn to that? Nobody, nobody. And so what we've gotta be called to do as the church, as believers, as followers of Christ, instead of shunning each other because of a struggle, love each other through the struggle. Instead of shunning each other in the midst of our struggles, let's love each other in the middle of our struggle. And this is what Paul is talking about. Have this love. Have this brotherly love for one another. And so the second time we read the word love, on down in verse nine, it says that you have been taught by God to love one another. Now the word love there in the original language would have been translated agape love, which this is the definition of love that we read just a moment ago at the very beginning when we were talking about a mother's love. Let me, re, let me reread that definition. This is the love and the commitment and faithfulness and sacrifice while expecting nothing in return. Another definition described it, agape love is this, not concerned with self, but concerned for the greater good of another. That is agape love. And as yes, while we talk about that, that's a mother's love, but what we really understand is this is God's love for the church. This is God's love for you. This is God's love for me. This is God's love for those who are not part of the family of God. Because we see this exemplified on the cross that he sent his son. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So he didn't die on behalf of our perfection. He died on behalf of our imperfections. And so what Jesus did is he died on the cross for, here we go, all man. 
in spite of those who would reject him, in spite of those who would not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he still died on their behalf, expecting nothing in return. This is the love that the father has for us. He sent his son to die even when there would be those who would reject this love. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he died for you. Even though right now in this moment, you may be rejecting that love. You may not really understand all of it. And because of that, you're sort of keeping it at arm's length. Can I tell you today that Jesus Christ loves you and that's the very reason that he died on the cross? It's so that you could be welcomed into this family of God, so that you could be welcomed into this family of a bunch of messed up people. Because you realize that's the truth. Don't think you've got to get everything fixed before you can come to know the Lord. Because praise be unto God, none of us were in that condition. He met us all right where we were. And so in summary, in with looking at this word love, Paul's telling them, you love each other because you're family, even if you don't get love back. You love each other as if you're family, even if you don't get loved back. Now, as we just shared a moment ago, that's, that seems impossible. Because I know, as we mentioned, there's a lot of you that, that wrestle and struggle with how do I love so-and-so? You have no idea what so-and-so did to me. Look, I, I wish I had the method to tell you how. I don't know how. All I can tell you to do is to rely on the resource that's been given you, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. Because here's what I believe about the Holy Spirit living in you. If you don't hear anything else we say today, I want you to remember this. Remember that we've been given what it takes to do impossible things. We've been given what it takes to do impossible things. And a lot of times for the Holy Spirit to come alive in you is for you to admit, I can't love them. I can't love them. And when we admit I can't love them, we're saying that we can't love them in our flesh. It's not humanly possible. And so God, I'm surrendering that to you. And that's why I need you to teach me supernaturally how to love those that I can't love in my flesh. And you watch the Holy Spirit of God work. Now, I wish I could tell you that if you come and lay it on his altar today, that all of a sudden you're gonna get up and you're gonna be madly in love with that person, but that's not the case. It may be, but it may not be. But are you gonna be disciplined enough to continue to surrender that at the foot of the cross? Because the beauty of salvation is no longer have we been reunited with the Father who loves us but we've also been given a new nature. And that's the spirit nature of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you. I wanna read this to you and I found it very convicting, honestly. But I want you to listen to this. It says, the animals were born with instincts. Fish don't take swimming lessons. Birds don't earn a pilot's license. Nature determines their actions. So because of nature, fish swim, and birds fly. And because of the nature that's been given to the Christians, guess what? We love. 
It's the new nature that is now embedded in our hearts that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how a fish just learns or just knows to swim. He doesn't learn it, he just knows to swim. It doesn't make sense that a bird can fly. And there's gonna be situations where it doesn't make sense when the Christians love. But it's the nature that has now been given to us. And I don't know about you, but I got a long way to go. I got a long way to go to let that nature begin to spill out of me. But that's why Paul tells the church at Thessalonica exactly what he wants all of us to know. He said, look, you're doing this good. You're pretty good at this. But I need you to excel more. I need you to keep working at it. I need you to keep striving forward to learn how to love. And then what he does in the remaining part of our passage today is he gives three very practical ways that help us show how to love. That tell, to teach us how to continue learning to love. Now this is gonna get up all in some of your business here in just a minute, because it did mine. But the very first way, we see three practical things. That's what I love about Paul. He's very practical. He's not just gonna tell us what to do, but he's gonna teach us how to do it. And so we see there that he reads, he says, hey, I want you to have an ambition to live a quiet life, attend your own business and work with your hands. You're thinking, what in the world does those three things have to do with love? You're gonna understand in just a moment, I hope. But what we see that is common about all three of those is Paul tells each of them, hey, with every one of these, with every one of these leaving, leading a quiet life, Minding your own business and working with your hands, I want you to go after those with ambition. I want you to be disciplined. I want you to work at these three things. So let's unpack what those three things mean. What does it mean? What is Paul talking about when he means there to lead a quiet life? What does it mean to lead a quiet life? Now understand that's not necessarily speaking to audible silence. That's not meaning that we're supposed to walk out in the hallways and it's just mute. If we go out in here in a minute and you can just hear crickets in the lobby, you have completely misunderstood this. Well, pastor, I'm just leading a quiet life. I just thought it'd be best for me not say nothing. That's not what he's talking about. To lead a quiet life, this is something that I know every one of us can apply. What it literally means to lead a quiet life is, hey, slow down. Slow down. This meaning literally means a season of tranquility and rest. And the only way that the Holy Spirit is gonna continue to teach us is if we learn how to lead a quiet life. The only way that the Holy Spirit is gonna empower us to do what he wants to teach us is if we slow down, if we listen to the Father's voice. When is the last time you have been silent with the Father? You know, I know I'm a transparent guy. And I'll be honest with you, in the last four to five days, 
The only time that I've been silent, the only time that I have led a quiet life was yesterday morning. I walked out on the back porch and right before the sun had come up, I just sat there in the stillness of the moment. No phone, no TV. And you know what? And I really didn't even do a whole lot of talking to God. But I just sat with him. When is the last time that you have slowed down long enough to hear the voice of the Father? You know, it's amazing how God will speak to you in the midst of something. I was sitting here a minute ago and Easton, our, our little one, who's about to be six months, is that right? Yeah, almost six months old. The one thing I've noticed about him that I've never seen with all of my other kids is I can be holding him and as soon as I begin to talk into his ear, he presses his ear against my mouth and he just leans his face up as tightly as he can to my mouth. And what I noticed in just a moment ago, here we are in, in worship with the loud music, with everybody screaming or singing and everybody worshiping. Some of you were screaming. Yeah, that dude behind me was screaming because he sure can't sing. <laughs> Love him anyway. But what God spoke to me just a moment ago is that even in the moment of that loudness, if you would, I was holding Easton and I said something to him. And even in the chaos of that moment, his ear pressed right up against my lips because he's hungry for daddy's voice. That even in the chaos, this precious baby knows what it means in that moment to lead a quiet life. Because even in the chaos of the day, when is the last time that you have pressed your ears against the father's lips to hear what the Holy Spirit of God wants to teach you? Because everything around us is loud. And yes, it takes intentionality. It takes discipline. But what we've got to do in order to lead a quiet life is we've got to learn to press our ear to the Father's lips. We've got to slow down. Because when we slow down, this is when the Holy Spirit of God teaches us how to love. So he says there, lead a quiet life. And he says, have ambition towards it. You've got to strive to love like this. Second thing, attend to your own business. Paraphrased, mind your own business. Paraphrased again, keep your nose out of places it don't belong. <laughs> you got an amen. And so what Paul is wanting them to understand if the business that you're about to announce has nothing to do with you, keep your mouth shut. Don't talk about us. If it's not yours to tell, don't tell it. Don't put on your spiritual hat and say, I feel led to tell you about brother so-and-so. We need to pray for them. You're not praying for them. You're just simply wanting to talk about them. And this makes you feel a little bit better about it. If it's not your business, don't tell it. 
When we read in the book of Proverbs, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it in Proverbs chapter 17. Here's the danger of not minding your own business. Proverbs 17, four, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Flip over to verse 14. It says the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. What he's talking about in verse 14 is, is the analogy of a dam about to break loose. A dam that's got a little crack in it. And all of a sudden, we all know the danger of what lies ahead if the dam breaks. It has the potential to bring destruction. You understand that's exactly what you're doing when you're not minding your own business? You're about to bust open the dam and it's gonna do nothing but lead to destruction. So if it's not your business, don't talk about it. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, just stay away from it. Stay away from him. But we know, especially in this day and age with social media and everybody's life is advertised on it. It is so easy to get caught in that trap. It's so easy to get caught in that and not mind our own business. And that's why Paul says, have ambition in this. You have to strive to this. You have to work to this. Then the last thing he tells us there is, is work with your own hands. Work with your own hands. In essence, what he's saying there is focus on your responsibilities. Because when we're focused on our responsibilities, we're not tempted to talk about everybody else's responsibilities. So the reason that he's talking about working with your own hands is so that we will focus on our responsibility. And when is the last time you've asked yourself, am I focusing on the place God has called me and am I focusing on what God has called me to do there? Because we're focusing on the where and the what. We can all agree that the reason that we're there is to love. It's to exemplify and to show exactly what Paul is challenging the church at Thessalonica to do. The place God has you, the environment God has placed you, he's got you there for a reason and it's your responsibility to show the love of Christ that we learn how to do when we spend time with him. But what he wants us to know is that Doing nothing is not an option. If you've been saved by grace through faith, doing nothing is not an option. Because when we get caught in the trap of doing nothing, we know that there's a lot of idle time that comes with doing nothing. And I can tell you from experience that idle time is the enemy's playground. Idle time is the enemy's playground. Because if you're not busy about your work, if you're not busy about what God has called you to do, then all of a sudden it's very tempting to look at what everybody else has got going on. And when we begin to see what everybody else has got going on, all of a sudden we find it very tempting to talk about what they've got going on. And when we get caught in the trap of talking about what everybody else has got going on, we don't slow down long enough to lead a quiet life. And so you see how it kind of snowballs. It kind of all compounds on one another. But what's interesting is in this literal context of 
First Thessalonians chapter four, the reason that Paul is very adamant at telling them that they are to work with their own hands is because as new believers, the second coming of Christ has just been introduced. They're now talking about the rapture of the church. They're now teaching about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And that's exactly where we're going next week. We're talking about all of the end times and what's coming ahead. And so what was happening in these new believers is they had gotten to a place where they were so focused on nothing but watching for the second return. They were thinking, okay, Jesus is about to come. So you know what? We can just sort of kick back and do nothing. We don't have to work with our own hands. But you see, the problem was, is it was setting a very bad testimony to the unbelievers. Because what was happening is the new Christians weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't working with their own hands. And so what was happening is they couldn't even provide for themselves. And so now the non-believers were having to provide for the Christians who were doing nothing but wait on the second return of Christ. And so doing nothing as a Christian is not an option. God has given you talents. God has given you skills. And we are called by God, according to this text, to use them. When we work with our own hands, when we're doing what God has called us to do, we're gonna be less tempted to stick our nose where it doesn't belong. And when we're focused on what God has called us to do, we know that we can't do that without the leading of the Holy Spirit, which then in turn leads us to leading a quiet life. And so we see how it had all kind of tangled up together. And this is what's gonna lead us to close is the example that the church is supposed to be setting. Here's the why. Here's why we love. Here's why we lead a quiet life. Here's why we mind our own business. Here's why we work with our own hands. Look at what verse 12 says. So that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in need. When a Christian loves the way that God has called us to love, it's appealing even to a lost world. When the church is being the church, there's a draw in it to people who don't know him because there's something so unique about it. There's something so out of the box that it strikes curiosity and people are like, why in the world do they love each other in spite of how bad they are? How do we sit and we watch these Christians, they... They lead this quiet life. They don't get caught up in everything going on around them. How is it that these Christians are, they're minding their own business. They don't throw each other under the bus. They love each other in spite of. And how is it that these Christians, they, they're hard workers. They're hard, they, they go at it. They're disciplined. Because the reality is, is the world that we live in right now 
in the chaos of this world we live in right now. It is the exact opposite of the characteristics of a follower of Christ. It's the exact opposite. There's so much hate. We look at a lost world and the last thing people are doing is loving each other. And because of that, we can tell that they don't lead a quiet life. They don't slow down long enough to listen to the Father's voice. And you can turn on any newscast, you can turn on anything on social media, and you can sure tell that ain't nobody minding their own business. They talking about everybody else's mistakes. And we can look around the world right now and the last thing our culture's teaching you is to work with your own hands. Just sit at home, we'll take care of you. We're commanded by God to take advantage of the skills and the abilities that God has given us. The hardest workers in our community should be the Christians in this church. We should be leading by example. And look, you can be mad at me for saying that, but that's what Paul said. So you can take that up with him. He's telling us to work. But when the lost world sees us loving each other in spite of our struggles, when the world sees us living in peace with each other, when the world sees us taking care of responsibilities, a lost world is drawn to that. You know, I remember when I was in student ministry, there was a young lady that let us know that she had found out she was pregnant. You know, and the world would say, hey, she's pregnant. She probably doesn't belong in the church. That means she lived in sin. But what I watched a bunch of teenagers do is to come around this young lady and hold her as she wept. I watched youth leaders, I watched students come around this young lady. Then all of a sudden, guess what began to happen? The next week, two weeks later, another young lady who found out she was pregnant showed up. Then two weeks later, another young girl showed up with her newborn baby. Because you know why? She said, you know what? Those people are gonna love me in spite And I thought, man, how cool is it going to be when we're the only student ministry in town that has its own childcare? <laughs> but the product of that, guess what? Was us loving the way God has called us to love. God calling us to love by the way he showed us and taught us how to love. So I don't know really how you respond today, but the one thing that I want to celebrate is the fact that, that in all the chaos of this world, 
that our community is hungry for exactly what we've just shared. Our community is hungry to be loved. Our community is hungry to see this exemplified. And I realized this on Thursday, I think it was. Many of you know that it was the National Day of Prayer. In the last couple of years that we've gone, that we meet on the square at 12 o'clock and they give pastors certain prayer stations and we get to pray for three to four minutes as people rotate to each prayer station. And just being completely transparent, the last couple of years, I have left there very discouraged because in each group, there may be five, 10, at max, like 12, 13 people praying with each group. Tops, maybe 100 people show up total. To show you that the world is hungry, to show you that God is moving in spite of the chaos. And I believe with everything in me, God is using the chaos to open up the church's eyes and to also open up the lost world's eyes. I was absolutely blown away with, I have no idea how many people were in the square. People were hungry to pray. And I left there Thursday incredibly encouraged because people are being drawn to all of the characteristics that we just talked about. So maybe as a believer this morning, you need to just simply spend time like I have this week, repenting for all of those things that I don't exemplify. Maybe you need time to repent today that I'm not loving the way you've called me to love, God. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for the fact of maybe you're not taking time with the Lord. Maybe you're not leading this quiet life. Or maybe you need to repent this morning and say, you know what? I've not been minding my own business. Or maybe you've just not been working with your own hands. Maybe you've not been responsible with what God has entrusted you with. And so we're gonna give a response to that this morning. And God tells us in his word, when my people who are called by name, my name humble themselves, I will heal, heal their land. And so maybe that response is for the ones in the room who, who you say, I'm part of the family. I've, I've trusted Jesus. But maybe there's those here this morning that don't know God. That this agape love makes absolutely no sense. Maybe somebody here today, you need to hear that truth. That God's love is not based on your current condition. God loves you right where you're at. You don't have to straighten up. You don't have to stop this or do this. All he wants you to do is call on the name of the Lord so you shall be saved. Trust in him this morning. That God's love is not based off how good you are. God's love is based off he loves you right where you're at. And so I don't know how you need to respond this morning. Maybe we as the church need to end up on our face this morning repenting before a holy and a righteous God that we're not showing love. Or maybe some of you today, 
you're having a hard time loving. You're having a hard time forgiving. I would encourage you to press your ear to the Father's lips and let him teach you how. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.